Welcome to Safety Bites, a weekly podcast on all things related to workplace safety, hosted by me, Jason Schaffenbuhl. The thoughts expressed in this podcast are based upon my opinion and general best practices, which may not apply to all listeners. Always consult with a qualified professional before making any changes in your organization. I believe that OSHA's General Duty Clause is its most powerful and protective standard. Since you are listening to this podcast, you know that OSHA has hundreds of standards covering topics from chemical labeling to forklift operation to the control of hazardous energy or lockout. When OSHA was created, however, lawmakers realized there was no way they could create standards to cover all potential hazards in the workplace, so they created the General Duty Clause. This clause, or standard, places a virtually unlimited number of safety requirements on your workplace you may not be fully aware of, including, but not limited to, employee training obligations, even when OSHA does not have a specific standard requiring training. Most commonly, the General Duty Clause is used to protect employees from exposure to chemicals where no permissible exposure limit has been established, workplace violence, and ergonomics hazards. These hazards are well recognized, and OSHA has been able to consistently show feasible means to control these hazards. Section 5A1 of the Occupational Safety and Health Act, or OSHA, is better known by safety people as the General Duty Clause. This standard requires that, quote, each employer furnish to each of its employees a workplace that is free from recognized hazards that are causing or likely to cause death or serious physical harm, end quote. I will now discuss the two key elements of the General Duty Clause and what it means for you. But I'll start with the last part of the standard first. The General Duty Clause limits the hazards employers need to address to those hazards that are, quote, are causing or likely to cause death or serious physical harm, end quote. Death is simple to comprehend. If the hazard causes an employee to die, the hazard is serious enough to be covered by the General Duty Clause. Serious physical harm is a little more subjective. OSHA defines serious physical harm in their field operations manual as, quote, impairment of the body in which part of the body is made functionally useless or is substantially reduced in efficiency on or off the job. Such impairment may be temporary, chronic, or acute. Injuries involving such impairment would usually require treatment by a medical doctor, end quote. I just love these. Some examples of serious physical harm that OSHA provides are amputation, which includes the loss of all or part of a bodily appendage, including the loss of bone, a concussion, a crushing injury, even though the skin surface may be intact, a fracture, whether it's simple or compound, burns or scald, including electrical and chemical burns, and cuts and lacerations or punctures involving significant bleeding and or requiring suturing. While OSHA can cite the general duty clause violations during any inspection, it is most often used during inspections that have resulted in death, hospitalization, or amputation, three events that lead to the majority of OSHA inspections. Since death or serious physical injury have likely occurred in these instances, it proves the requirement that death or serious physical harm has occurred. Thus, OSHA only needs to show that the hazard was recognized. Now back to the first part of the general duty clause. Employers need to keep the workplace free of recognized hazards. Recognized hazards are those hazards that the employer, the industry, or others, such as safety professionals, recognize as being hazardous. While an employer may not know that a specific situation is hazardous, maybe due to a lack of direct experience with that situation, this does not exempt the employer from making the workplace safer. If there is an industry consensus standard, often referred to as an ANSI or an American National Standards Institute standard, or others in the industry are aware of the hazard, such as through industry publications, or there is general awareness of the hazards, then it is recognized. Employers have the burden of knowing of the hazards applicable to their industry.
For example, repetitive motion and awkward posture hazards that lead to cumulative trauma disorders, such as carpal tunnel syndrome, are recognized hazards. While OSHA does not have an ergonomic standard, the hazards are well known and understood. Thus, if you have such cumulative trauma injuries in your workplace, OSHA can use the General Duty Clause to require that you address the hazards. One often overlooked source of knowledge are owners and operators' manuals. This is where you, as an employer, might not know a situation is hazardous because you don't directly use the equipment. One of the first General Duty Clause violations I remember resulted in the death of a sanitation worker in a meat processing plant. The employee was using a pressure washer to wash down production equipment. Not all the power had been turned off to the equipment being washed, and the employee sprayed water into live electrical equipment. The employee was electrocuted and passed away. Again, since OSHA does not have regulations covering all possible scenarios, they used the General Duty Clause to issue a citation to the employer. To prove the employer had knowledge, OSHA referenced the owner's manual for the pressure washer, which said not to use around live electrical equipment. Thus, the employer had knowledge of the hazardous situation. As I mentioned in the introduction, OSHA can require employee training even when it doesn't have a specific employee training standard. That is because of the General Duty Clause. If you have equipment in your facility and the manufacturer of the equipment requires the operators of the equipment to be trained, such as through the fine print and the owner's manual, and you have not trained your employees, you have potentially violated half of the General Duty Clause requirements. OSHA will be able to say that you failed to address a recognized hazard. I also need to mention when OSHA cannot use the General Duty Clause. OSHA cannot use the General Duty Clause when a different OSHA standard already applies or to impose stricter requirements. For example, under the Bloodborne Pathogen Standard, OSHA has 14 topics that must be covered as part of employee training. OSHA cannot decide that there is another topic that they want you to provide training on and issue a General Duty Citation to force you to make the change. In addition, OSHA cannot use the General Duty Clause to require a specific abatement method. As long as an employer complies with a standard, OSHA cannot use the General Duty Clause to force an employer to comply with the law in a specific way. Lastly, OSHA cannot use the General Duty Clause to enforce quote, should, end quote, standards. Most standards say an employer shall do something. Shall is enforceable under law, and when you see it in a standard, you should read it as must. In a few standards, there are should statements. The powered industrial truck standard states that, quote, non-combustible agents should be used for cleaning trucks, end quote. So you are able to use a combustible solvent, that's a solvent with a flashpoint greater than 100 degrees Fahrenheit, but OSHA does not recommend it. So if you had an employee experience a burn from a combustible cleaning solvent igniting while cleaning a forklift, OSHA cannot issue a general duty citation as the standard is a should standard. Now that you are aware of the additional safety obligations you have due to the general duty clause, Take some time to review consensus standards and industry trade publications to stay informed of what hazards are recognized in your industry. In addition, routinely evaluate your workplace for hazards that are likely to cause serious harm or death, even if these hazards are not covered by one of OSHA's prescriptive standards. Because you recognize the hazard and feel it could lead to serious injury, you should take steps to control the hazard to protect your employees and your organization. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and will join me next week. Until then, create a safer workplace and email me if you have any questions or suggestions.